Good evening and welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call. My name is Kim Moore and I am excited. You warm my heart to hear you announce your states and your names. And, you know, particularly I especially enjoy um, when the men announce themselves. And, you know, usually you have women praying and particularly for marriage, you have women praying and leading the charge. And so, you know, the last few weeks, you know, just to hear the men chime in, it matters. It matters so much that men add their voice and their faith to what God is doing in the area of marriage. And God believe God is creating new wineskins because he's pouring out new wine and that men are among this effort. It just, I tell you, I, it's hard to describe what it does to my heart. So I appreciate all of you. And especially I just enjoy, again, hearing the men chime in. Well, this is the Marriage Reform Prayer Call, and just for the sake of people who may be on for the first time, uh, we're praying for marriages for four reasons. Husbands and wives need it. The unity in our nation depends on unity in our homes. Healthy husbands and wives are God's answer to unity among the sexes. And then marriage is crucial to to revival taking place in our nation. And we continue to believe, God, that all of the states will be represented on this call. I think we are up to 27 um, by the call's end as people chime in and come on after the chime. So we appreciate all of you and those ambassadors, those who have agreed to be on the call every week and to stand in the gap in your state. We appreciate you so much. We declare kingdom, we pray and declare kingdom principles uh, in marriage. And what it's just a little bit different because kingdom principles apply equally and as strenuously to husbands as they do to wives. As strenuously are they applicable to men as they are to women. And developing a kingdom mindset is critical if we're going to experience the freedom, the love, and the power that God intends. For us to do in marriage. And lastly, before we get started, jumping for joy. I just want to make a, uh, a plug about jumping for joy. As many of you know, beginning in January, we're going to begin to traverse the states and put our feet on the ground and take what we've done and we'll continue to do in prayer on Wednesdays. We want to go to each of the states as we believe that God is leading, put our feet on the ground, pray, gather and teach kingdom principles on the ground in those states. You can learn more about Jumping for Joy and how you can support it by going to my website, More, that's my last name, M-O-O-R-E, on relationships.com, and just click on Learn More. And so we appreciate all of you that have committed to taking the journey with us for your donations. It makes a difference, and we just appreciate you so, so much. Well, each week we open with prayer, we teach a little bit, then we pray and declare God's word. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just bring our hearts to you tonight, Father. We bring our perfectly imperfect hearts and minds to you, our souls to you, God. Our spirit, our heart is perfect, but our souls, God, are in the process of being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, our desire tonight is to conform to your will and your word in all ways and all things that we might prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, Father God, manifest yourself even through this call. Lord, cause your truth, Lord, to 
to be a light unto your people and a lamp unto their path, God. Lord, I thank you and I praise you, Lord. I thank you for being here in our midst today, God. Lord, I just bless you and I thank you. I thank you, Lord. We trust in you today, God, and we purpose to do good, to dwell in the land and feed on your faithfulness, God, as we set our affections on things of above and not things here on the earth. And so we bless you tonight, God, and as we continue to teach on divorce and remarriage, God, continue to break your word down, Father. Lord, I pray that you would smash, Lord, like a, with a battering ram, the traditions of men that have made your word ineffective, that have stolen the freedom of, from your people, God. Lord, I just thank you and I praise you for Jesus Christ and restoring freedom and hope and love and power to husbands and wives in marriage in Jesus' name. Well, we've been talking about divorce and remarriage uh, for the past several weeks, and the three—I guess—the three biggest takeaways thus far have been: first, that of all of the scriptures that we've looked at, and we've looked at—I don't know—maybe eight or nine, maybe even more scriptures uh, and chapters on marriage, uh, on divorce and remarriage, and including the one that we'll look at tonight in Corinthians. But the context of the discussion on divorce and remarriage is sexual immorality. Out of all of the scriptures we've looked at, you cannot, I have not found one, as we've looked at them here, where sexual immorality has not been mentioned in the same context, conversation with divorce and remarriage. And it was because the, in, uh, in ancient times, men would use divorce and remarriage to legally satisfy their sexual desires. And Jesus called it, and he condemned the practice, and he called it adultery. He said, when you practice that and when you do that with that motive, I condemn it. It's condemned. It's judged as adultery. And mainly he was speaking to the men in ancient times, primarily because during those times women were were property, and they had very few rights uh, in, in society but also in marriage. And so much of the conversation about divorce and remarriage has been uh, directed toward men. Um, yet we have a kingdom mindset, and so we want to extract those things that are kingdom, a kingdom mentality, because they equally apply to husbands and wives. And by that I mean if a woman, if a wife is using divorce and remarriage to satisfy her sexual appetites, it is adultery as Jesus indicated. That's not my word. That's what Jesus said. It's adultery. So it makes no difference whether you're a husband or wife if you misuse divorce and remarriage as a way to gratify yourself sexually, Jesus condemns the practice. The second takeaway is this, divorce is not a sin. And I I mentioned that last week, but the scripture supports divorce as a confession or a remedy to protect the vulnerable. And out of all of the scriptures we looked at, we go back to Deuteronomy 24 and why the law of Moses granted divorce. He granted it as a confession. Well, some people will say that, well, God hates divorce. He does. And if you read in Malachi where it says he hates divorce, he tells you why he hates divorce. He hates divorce because it is cruel and what it does to the vulnerable. In that case, what it did to the women who were left without protection and without provision. He didn't say that divorce was a sin. He said he hated divorce. He hated this remedy because even the remedy wasn't enough to take care and protect women in that day. And so we don't want to confuse what God hates 
um, and call it sin if he's not called it sin. It is a remedy. It was a concession. Um, and today we have the vulnerable among us, husbands and wives, you know, who perhaps are physically and mentally, uh, verbally being abused, emotionally being abused. It could be a husband or wife that's been repeatedly subjected to sexual immoral, immoral behavior from of a spouse. It could be a husband or wife who is um, addicted to alcohol and drugs and, and has outbursts of, of anger or wrath. You know, it could be any number that puts people in a vulnerable situation. Um, and then thirdly, in all cases, God is concerned with the motive of each one's heart, even when he distinguished and he exposed the practice of immorality using divorce and remarriage as a way to satisfy sexual pleasure. He was concerned with the motive. The motive behind the activity was was sexual pleasure. So in all cases, whether it's abuse, whether it's sexual morality, uh, whether it's addiction, whatever it is, God is still looking at the motive of the one contemplating divorce. Well, last week we talked about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, and, and I want to I continue because Paul has some unique things to say, and I want to end uh, tonight with there are, three, um, there are three scenarios that I see as we've been walking this out through the scripture, three scenarios in which divorce took place. Before we get to those, I want to talk about Corinthians. Corinthian, uh, just, just a little backdrop, Corinthian, uh, Corinth, excuse me, Corinth was one of the wealthiest city, city, cities in the ancient Greek world. Um, it boasted of two ports, and so that brought in lots of trade. Um, the lands were fertile. I mean, there were natural springs. It just was a very robust area um, economically, uh, agriculturally, and even uh, through trading, uh, through the trading through the through the, through the two ports. Corinthians also worshipped Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, beauty, pleasure, and procreation. And um, what went along with that was a lot of sexual sin. And so you see uh, Paul dressing, once again, sexual immorality, going back to 1 Corinthians 5. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 1, I can hardly believe the report about sexual immorality going on among you something that even pagans don't do. I am told that in your church is live that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. So in first Corinthians five, here again, we see the backdrop or the context um, leading up to Paul's discussion on marriage. And then, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 says, says, you're so proud of yourself, speaking to the church. You're so proud of yourself, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should have removed this man from your fellowship. I wonder how much sexual immorality is going on in our church, and we just kind of turn our heads. We don't confront it. We don't address it. We pray, and that's it. And Paul's saying here, look, you should have called this out. You should have appealed to this guy's Christianity. And Paul ended up throwing the guy out of the church. Then we get to 1 Corinthians 6, and again, he uh, uh, is addressing the practice of sexual morality. They were, um, they were committing sexual sin in the temple. And so these, this is the backdrop. And so 
when I was preparing today, I was saying, you know, God, I don't even want to mention this again. I mean, every week we talk about sexual morality. You know, I, I didn't even want to bring it up again. It's like, it's like beating a dead horse. But apparently not, because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 that sexual immorality is common. It's a problem then, and it's a, it's a problem now. And Paul addresses marriage and divorce against this backdrop. So 1 Corinthians seven ten. we talked about this last week, so I'll just say it briefly. It says, and to those who are married, I give this charge, which is not mine, but the Lord's, that the wife should not depart her husband, but if she does, then she should either remain unmarried or reconcile with her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. It's interesting that Paul gives the Lord's command in this, in this verse. He gives the Lord, in these two verses, gives the Lord's command that husbands and wives should not divorce. But then he acknowledges some wives will choose to divorce. But he simply tells the husbands, don't divorce. So I thought it was interesting that he simply tells the husbands in this passage, don't divorce, but he tells the wives, it's the Lord's desire and command that you don't divorce, but if you choose to divorce, then remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband. And the only thing I could think about is the men were already doing it. The men were already, as we go back to Deuteronomy 24, men were already divorcing and remarrying. So to them it was even strict, just don't divorce, just don't do it. But to the wives, if you do, if this is an option that you have chosen, then you need to understand you should, then the Lord remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse. And so now I want to go to verse 12 through 14. I'm going to read it. To the rest I say, which is not a saying of the Lord, if a brother has an unbelieving wife and she is content to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is content to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been made holy by his believing wife, and the believing wife has been made holy by her believing husband by virtue of his or her sacred union to the, to the believer. Otherwise, the children from this union would be unclean, but in fact, they are holy. So he's saying here, he's like, like, okay, there are situations, and some of you may on this line, um, have may have married someone who is an unbeliever or someone who might be a nominal Christian. That is, they say they're Christian, but their lifestyle denies them. Titus says it this, this way. He's in Titus 1.16. There are those that profess to know me, but deny me in the way that they live. This is an abomination. So there are some that are living with, with people who profess Christ, but they live like the world uh, and, or in, in a very carnal and a very fleshly, uh, fleshly mindset. They may not go to church. They may not be practicing their beliefs as a Christian. You know, the thing that I find interesting about the Old Testament and the New Testament, or at least in the Hebrew way of thinking and the Greek way of thinking, in the Hebrew way of thinking, when you said you believe something, there was a corresponding action that went along with it. So in the Hebrew language, um, words, not only there was a word, but there was a picture denoting an action that was to be carried out. 
So when a, a, a Jewish person said they believed something, then the expectation was that they were doing something that corresponded with that belief. The Greek mentality is philosophical. It is mental. It is conceptual. So words don't necessarily have actions that are tied to them. That's why James said, to, uh, James said that faith without works is dead. Why? Because you need to have something that corresponds to what you say you're believing. And so here in the scriptures, it's talking about per, one scenario could be a person that has professed Christ but does not live in a manner that reflects what he says he believes. And in that case, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of a Christ, then remaining with that person that desires to remain with you is the Lord's will. Let me say it again. If you're married to someone who is not following Christ, not a believer, marginal believer, nominal believer, lukewarm believer, whatever the case may be, and they are content to dwell with you, then the Bible says that we ought to remain with them because being together affords them holiness. Jesus said it this way in Hebrews 2, 10 and 11, I believe. He says, he is not ashamed to call us brethren because he who sanctifies and the one being sanctified are the same. And so when an unbelieving spouse lives with a husband or wife, they are being sanctified by you as you follow Christ. And how do you know that by the way you live, their heart won't be turned more fully to Christ? And then verse 15, it says, if your husband isn't a follower of Christ and decide to leave or divorce you, then agree to it. You are no longer bound to that person. After all, God chose you and wants you to live at peace. So the first scenario, the unbeliever wants to stay with you. And the Lord would, again, obviously all you know, other variables not in place, such as abuse and all of those kinds of things happening. But if they're content to live with you, they're a good person, whatever the case may be, God wants you to stay because in that staying, you're, being, you're sanctifying that husband or wife. And then this case in verse 15, it says that if that unbelieving spouse uh, or who's not following Christ decides to divorce you, let him go. Agree with it. You're no longer bound. You're free because God wants you to be at peace. And so as I think about all of the scriptures that we have read thus far, there are three scenarios in which I find, and you can concur, go back and study this as well for yourself, but I find three scenarios in which divorce is used as a confession or as a remedy. Matthew 19, 8 and 9 talks about when a spouse is committing sexual immorality and is unrepentant. Then the Bible says that that person, that's, that's an exception, that person is free to divorce. And then 1 Corinthians 11, a wife or husband choosing to leave his or her spouse Perhaps due to, that's, uh, that's where he's talking about why, but uh, the Lord's command is that you not divorce. But if you choose to, verse 11, if you choose to leave, um, perhaps it could be due to physical abuse, verbal, mental, emotional abuse, alcohol, drugs, death. It could be any, any number of things. If you choose to leave, 
then, then I want you to remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse. So the, the standard is really high. And then the third scenario is in uh, 1 Corinthians 17, and that is when a non-follower of Christ or an unbelieving spouse wants a divorce, then you are free and no longer bound to that particular person. Those are three scenarios in which um, the concession or remedy of divorce is offered. Now, I don't know about you, but I have always been taught that uh, divorce is a sin. And what I have found in coaching and counseling people is that there are many God-fearing men and women that remain in threatening and harm, harmful situations because they love God and they don't want to sin against them. And they, they're, 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 they're losing their identity. They have no peace. And we're perpetuating it because we teach divorce as a sin and not as a concession and not as a remedy. And so I, I mean, I, that's just, that was hard for me to, to accept because I don't want to contribute to anyone being abused or harmed unnecessarily. But see, when we see divorce as a sin, there's only one solution, repent. That's all there is. The only solution to sin is to repent. And so there's nowhere to go. But when we teach divorce as a concession or a remedy, it becomes a way to stem the tide of abuse, neglect, and exploitation and sexual morality. It's, a, it's an opportunity to cut it off if there is no other recourse. So seeing divorce as a remedy recognizes that there is a problem, and it offers the best opportunity to be able to examine and confront the problem without condemning the people. See, sin is, it, it is a, a, a when, when you have sinned, there is a condemnation, there's a conviction that comes upon you. But when we begin to see divorce as a remedy as one solution, perhaps as a last resort, so to speak, now we're free to discuss what's really going on. And husbands and wives need safe space to discuss what's really going on without feeling condemned so that they can make the best decision in, in concert and relationship with God and their marriage. So, as I said before, a lot of times when I teach or, or I've taught, it's like, so are you, are you agreeing? Are you justifying? Are you telling people to get divorced? No, I'm not telling people to get divorced. What I am saying is this, that if you're considering or know someone that's considering divorce or contemplating it, I suggest asking some very brutally honest questions of yourself and have asked even the Holy Spirit to examine your heart with regard to these questions. I gave them out before. I'll share them again. Why do you want a divorce? How am I being harmed by my spouse's actions? What am I afraid of? Is unforgiveness contributing to my desire to divorce? Am I using divorce to get to somebody else, sexually, emotionally, or otherwise? And what does God's word have to say about my situation? And is divorce the most loving thing I can do for all concerned? That's a novel question. Is divorce, you tend not think of divorce as a loving thing. But sometimes the remedy is the most loving thing we can do. And when someone, example I give, if someone is physically abusive, abusive uh, and is swinging or pushing, punching or whatever have you, you may not be able to control them swinging or her swinging her arms, throwing things or whatever have you. You can get out of the way. You can call for intervention. 
like the police, and more permanently, you can give them the space they need to swing their arms, throw objects, just not in your presence through divorce. It's a remedy. And so I, I, I encourage you really to ask yourselves those questions and really that we will begin to rightly divide the word uh, when it comes to divorce and remarriage because God has called us to freedom. And so, Father, I thank you today, God. You have not reneged on your desire to see your people free. Whether they are married or not, God, your desire, you said Jesus came not to condemn us but to set us free. And so, Father, tonight we just claim and declare that we are free in you. Every husband and wife is free, God. You said no one takes your life, that you lay it down only to take it up again. This commandment you receive from your Father. And for this reason, he loves you. Father, you love us when we take responsibility for our thoughts, our words, and our actions, when we lay our life down only to take it up again. Father God, we thank and we praise you that we've been made into the image of Jesus Christ. We thank and we praise you that you know every number of every hair on our head. We thank and we praise you, Lord, that you know the Lord, the, the, the down-sitting and the uprising of every husband and wife. You know the thoughts they will think even before they enter their mind, God. Lord, we thank and we praise you, Lord, that your word searches out the true intents of the hearts of your people. And so, Father God, we bring husbands and wives to you tonight, God. We bring them to the cross of Jesus Christ, and we ask you, Lord, to do a fresh cross-examination, God. Lord, that you would search their hearts, God, and try their thoughts to see whether they be of you, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you are laying all things open, God, to you whom we must give an account, that we can choose this day whom we'll serve, Father. Lord, we stand in the gap for husbands and wives today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that as they wait on you, God, they would be of good courage, and, Lord, that you would strengthen their heart, God. Lord, I praise you and I thank you today, God, for opening up your word like never before, God, causing the lights to go on, Father. I thank you and I praise you, God, for a kingdom mentality in husbands and wives. Lord, I thank you and I praise you, Father God, as we lift up the name of Jesus, you would draw husbands and wives to yourself again afresh, Lord. Lord, we declare, God, your word is in effect, that you are watching over to perform it in the lives that it has been spoken, God, by the Spirit, God, on this phone, those that will hear by replay, God, and even in the spiritual realm, God. Lord, use these words to build your kingdom in the heart of your people, for you said your kingdom is within us, and it is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost, Father. Lord, we thank you today, and we bless you today, God. We say that you're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We declare marriage belongs to you. You created it for yourself. And Lord, at the end, God, we will be married to Jesus Christ in him alone, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've not changed your mind about marriage, God. Lord, I thank you it's between a man and a woman in Jesus' name, Father. I thank you and I praise you, Father God, that your desires and husbands and wives would rule the world even, at, even as you rule the earth, even as you rule in the heavens, God. We bless you today, God. We honor you today, God. Pour out your spirit afresh upon husbands and wives, God. Lord, I thank you and I praise you, Lord. We rebuke the devourer for their sake, O oh God.
And, Lord, I just thank you and I praise you. We plead the blood of Jesus against the spirit of manipulation and control, against witchcraft, against every hex and curse, God, that has been pronounced on husbands and wives, God, that as they come clean and bring themselves to the light, God, Lord, that they would shake off, God, in the name of Jesus, everything that's not like you, every antichrist thought, every antichrist action, God, that you would fill them with love again, Father, and cause them to overflow, God. Fill them with the kind of love that will set them free, God, that will set others free, God. Fill them with the kind of love that drives out fear, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord. We call upon you tonight, God, and we thank you that you're not ashamed to call us brethren. For you who have sanctified us and we who are being sanctified are the same, God. Lord, we bless you today, God, and we give you the souls of husbands and wives today, God, for yourself, God. Lord, we just bless you for them. We say keep them against the day of judgment, Father God. We declare that they will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the words of their mouth, and because they love you more than they love themselves, God. Now, Father God, calls the law of love to convert their souls, God. For you said the law of the Lord is perfect for converting the souls of men, God. So, Lord, we just, Lord, enact, Lord, and invoke the law of love, God, and we give you all of our strength, all of our mind, God, all of our heart, God. We give it unto you tonight, God, and in like manner, God, husbands and wives will love each other as a sovereign act of their will, God. Lord, not because it's reciprocal, God, but because they choose to love each other, God, even as you have chosen to love us, that while we were yet in sin, God, you died for us to demonstrate how much you loved us. So I thank you for kingdom-minded husbands and wives, God, that don't need approval, that don't need the affirmation, aren't dependent on the affirmation of their husbands and wives, God, but they're dependent upon your approval and your affirmation, God, and they can stand in the gap, God, Lord, that they're willing to lay down their rights, God, to see their husband or wife come into the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this, and we bless you for it, and we thank you for all those on the call each week that are faithful, God. I pray, God, that you would, Lord, Lord, enlighten your people with your word. The Holy Spirit, interpret your word, God. Lord, and I thank you that even as they open these scriptures for themselves, God, Lord, speak to them, God. Clarify, God, where there's confusion, for you're not the author of confusion, God. Help them to rightly divide your word. Open up their mind and their soul, God, that they might hear you, God. For you said your sheep hear your voice, and another they will not follow, God. So, Lord, we stand on your banner with your banner of righteousness tonight, God, and we, we release grace. We release peace. We release healing, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. We bless you, Father God, for the courage for husbands and wives to come clean and be honest with one another, God, in safe zones, God, that you would be glorified in marriage again, God, and that you would restore it to the church, that you would unify husbands and wives, God, that we might take part in this end-time revival, that the world would see what true unity between men and women look like, God. Lord, we bless you today, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. We bless you, Jesus. You know, I wrote a post this morning on Facebook, and it said, without uh, ownership, without genuine ownership of the negative contribution you or I bring to relationship or a husband or wife bring to relationship, without ownership of the negative contribution we make to relationship, there can be no genuine 
progress and healing in that relationship. Let me say it again. Without genuine ownership of what you and I do that adversely affects another that we're in relationship with, there can be no genuine progress, healing, or reconciliation in the relationship. And so I release grace, grace, grace for each one of us to take ownership for the negative things that have an adverse effect, the things we do that adversely affect husbands and wives and those we love and who are in a relationship with. That is a kingdom mentality. Jesus never blamed. He never scapegoated. He was a scapegoat, but he never scapegoated. And so we must rise up in the name of Jesus. And whatever is our lot, we must be willing to accept it in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I bless you tonight, and I honor you, and I release love, I release grace, and I release peace. And if you need help, coaching, counseling, just hit me up, email me, Kim, at moreonrelationships.com, or you can go to my website. Um, and we just we want to be a part of what God is doing to heal and reconcile marriage to the body of Christ. In Jesus' name. Well, the replay number for today's call is 605-475-4980. The access code is 341-000-POUND. And the reference code for today's call is 77-POUND. So again, let me know. To love when you guys share on Facebook, social media, what happened here, what you got out of this. Share it with your friends. Share the replay number. If you have a question, a comment, you can hit me up on Facebook at Kim Warren Ministries, uh, or again, you can email me, and I will respond to you. Well, I love you. I bless you. And Amy, thank you so much. Couldn't do all this stuff without you. I appreciate you, BJ, and all the regulars on the call, thank you so much for your faithfulness each week. And we will see you on the call tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We'll see you on the call next Wednesday, God willing. Don't forget, invite somebody if you're getting something out of this. But well, we love you. Have a great evening in Jesus' name.